Welcome back to the Black Menace Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Weaver, and I'm here with my other host. Nate Bird, happy to be on the show as always. Yay. Sorry about the little dip I took last week. Had to take care of some business. Still taking care of business, but I'm almost free, guys. <laughs> Rachel's a hustler. She out here hustling. I'm earning my money, okay? So I can buy these SZA concert tickets that are coming out. Hey. Her new <laughs> album is pretty good. I listened to it. I like it. Okay, thank yeah. you. We'll talk about that at the end of the episode. <laughs> but um, yeah, we'll, she'll have her moment, guys. If you don't know me, that's my, you know, love. Okay, <laughs> so um, I will do the minutes moment for today, and today I'm going to talk about somebody that some of you might know. Um, she's known as Bell Hooks in her writing, but her real name is Gloria Jean Watkins, and she was born on September 25th, um, in 1952 in Hopskinville, Kentucky. And um, Bell Hooks is a scholar and activist and really um, she's very much known for her writings and um, you know writing books commenting on race, commenting on gender, um, you know talking about class, looking at how um, the intersections of all those things work together to oppress black women and really um, she commented she made a lot of commentary kind of critiquing the feminist movement um, you know the third wave that was coming through and she has done you know I really really like her works the ones that I read she also um, has been a teacher she started teaching in 1976 and she taught English and ethnic studies at the University of Southern California which is a really good school mm-hmm. um, Yes, and then she also taught African and Afro, African and Afro American studies at Yale University during the '80s, and women's studies at Oberlin College and English at the City of Colleges in New York during the 1990s and early 2000s. And then in 2004, she became professor in resident, which I don't really know what that is. I didn't know that was even a thing at uh, Barrera College in Kentucky. Um, and then the Bell Hooks Institute was founded at that college in 2014. So I mean, she was, I'm assuming she wanted to be closer to her home. But um, she has written a lot of important things. She has several books. I think she has, hold on, I'm trying to get the number. I think she has 40 something. Um, books? Yeah, but or just like, like publications? Publications. Okay. I'll say publications, but. Yeah, she, I first got introduced to her writings in a women's studies class. And um, ever since then, I've just tried to find more of the things that she's talked about. And truly, when you read it, you're kind con- for me, when I read it, it's crazy because the intersections that she speaks of, it's literally like, it feels like a writer today wrote that. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I thought. It was someone from today. But it's a writer from, you know, the 70s. And it's really interesting how her what she was saying is so you know still so relevant today and um after so many years and it's also showing that we haven't made that many um that much progress um yeah but she died december hold on december she died december 15th 2021 and i remember when she died i was very um last year i remember i was very upset i was like wow you know like she is She's a very important um, person, and so I uh, think that people like Bell Hooks 
need to be given their flowers more because she, uh, you know, brought so much, added so much depth to the feminist movement and the, um, helped, you know, kind of form womanism, which is basically, you know, the, the black woman approach to feminism. Mm-hmm. And she kind of added a lot of clarity and a lot of life to those ideas. Wow. So I had heard of womanism, but I've never heard of bell hooks. That was yeah, actually like my first time ever learning about her. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is one of her quotes. She said, I'm so disturbed when um, my women's students behave as though they can only read women or blacks, women or black students behave as though they can only read black or white. If they can only read blacks or white students behave as they can only identify with a white writer. So I thought, you know, she's just, she pointed out a lot of interesting, interesting things. And um, uh, I highly recommend you going to find something about something that she's written and read it because um, it's very inspiring. And I, I haven't read one of her books all the way through, but that is like a goal of mine to read one of her books. But everything that I've read thus far, short snippets has been something that's made me think deeper about my own like placement in the feminist movement and has helped me to you know, be more intentional with how I approach feminism and like my role as a black woman in the world. Yeah. Well, Rachel, thank you for sharing about bell hooks. I had actually never learned about her. That was, um, it was cool to to hear that. I'm going to have the, I'm definitely gonna have to check out some of her books. Um, just because yeah, I didn't know that she existed and I didn't know, like, I don't know any of like the contributions that she's made. So I appreciate you bringing her to my attention. It's really important when you real like if you know about the, anything about the feminist movement and like the when she started producing stuff, it's just like it makes it more powerful. I feel like because you know like the context in which she's writing in, mm-hmm. and like all the other women, white women, white feminists mm-hmm. are getting like these accolades for like their contributions. And she's like, yeah, y'all are actually not really that important, and y'all are not actually that much of a feminist. So it's like kind of funny to mm-hmm. me. That is funny. That is interesting. And that kind of reminds me of like some of the stuff that um, that we heard from from some of the black students at Smith College, how they were talking about how there's a lot of um, like there's a lot of social progressivism. But when it comes down to actually like being progressive, there's a lot there's a lot to be uh, to be left wanting there. Right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so I've heard that before. So womanism, I'll have to, I mean, I, I've heard of that, but yeah, I'm going to look into Bell Hooks and learn a little bit more about her. But with that, we're going to jump into our next little part. Um, obviously, the holidays are coming up. And with that, we're going to be taking a couple of weeks off, right? So this will be our last episode for a little while. And then we're coming back at the beginning of the year, bigger and better. And um, yeah, we'll go from there. But we wanted to talk a little bit about the holidays, this is a time where we get together with family members, where we uh, talk with those that we love and, you know, a lot of opportunity for conversation and conflict arises because there are so many different personalities in one space. Um, and they all share, you know, whatever history. Right. So we want to talk a little bit about um, just how to deal with maybe difficult family or how to have crucial conversations or tough conversations with family members about racism, about discrimination, about politics, all those kinds of things. Um, probably one of the most common things that, that people face uh, when they go home um, 
you know, depending on, on who, who they're around and what their family is like, they're going to face uh, microaggressions or uh, even just flat out blatant racism, depending on the environment. And so we kind of want to talk about a little bit about what a microaggression is, how to identify it and how to address them. All right. So to kick it off, really, I wanted to share the definition of what a microaggression is. And then from there, we'll like me and Rachel will share like some of the experiences that we've had as examples. So you can kind of get like a better idea if you've never really had the chance to, to figure out or learn more about it. So uh, the dictionary definition is a statement, action, or incident regarded as an instance of indirect, subtle, or unintentional discrimination against members of a marginalized group, such as a racial or ethnic minority. Um, and then the second definition is indirect, subtle, or unintentional discrimination against members of a marginalized group. Um, so basically a microaggression, it, it's pretty self-explanatory, right? So like it's a small ag aggression, right? It's something small that said that um, that can be perceived or interpreted as um, harmful or distasteful or as, as some sort of attack. So, you know, like there's passive aggressive um, behavior and then there's microaggressions um, or microaggressive behavior. And it's it kind of falls into a similar vein. Um, a really good example of this. I actually just thought of this. Rachel, do you remember the the story that broke like two weeks ago about the nonprofit um, worker who went to Buckingham Palace in the UK? And no. there was like, a, yeah, so it was this, I believe she's an African woman. Oh, no, no, no. She's, she's a British woman, but she was, um, I think she was like of African descent or African ancestry, right? And she went to Buckingham Palace and one of the officials at Buckingham Palace was like, where are you from? No, where are you really from? Like, you're not from Britain. You can't be from here. Like, where are you actually from? I'm going to actually look up the transcript really quick because it was crazy. Um, let me see here. You could, uh, yeah, I did not hear about this. I'm like, wait, what? I've not been up on the news, obviously. I'm like, yeah, it, it broke. Let me see. Let me, let me see if I can pull it up here. Yeah, let me see. It was Prince William's godmother. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Okay, let's see here. It's interesting. I've been talking to a couple people from the UK, and it's interesting to hear about, like, how racism exists there and how it's a different, you know, it's it's similar in some respects, but then, like, different in other ways. Um, I'm trying to find, like, the actual transcript. While I'm looking for that, do you want to share the story that you told me earlier? Yes. So... An example of a microaggression that I encountered in life, I was probably about 13 or 14, and I was in my youth group, and we were there for like an activity with the young men, and when I, uh, at, this at this time in my life, I wore my hair straight all the time. Um, you know, my iconic curly hair that I wear now was not how I looked. <laughs> um, I had straight hair most of the time, and if you or anyone that has curly hair or, you know, not naturally straight hair, you know how much time and energy that takes. And particularly if you're a black woman, you know how important that is and how much energy goes into that. Okay, I saw this to say we were playing a game where somehow water was involved. You would get sp sprayed with like um, the water hose or a spray gun. And I chose to not participate in the game because I knew that I would probably get wet. And I didn't want my hair to get wet for obvious reasons. Right. Because, you know, my mom paid for it. I didn't want to, um, you know, mess <clears> it up. 
So and doing black hair is um, not cheap. Like, no, exactly. It's not cheap to get your hair, you know, pressed out. And so I was like, you know, I'm just not going to play. And then everyone was kind of like giving me a hard time for not wanting to play. And then I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not playing just because I don't want to. I'm like, I'm not playing because I, I don't want to get my hair wet. Now, mind you, all of my leaders are white on both the young men and the young women. And I was like, yeah, I just don't want to play because I don't want to get my hair wet. And they were all kind of like acting like it wasn't a big deal. Hmm. Acting like it, it didn't matter. So, you know, they're all giving me like the, oh, come on, Rachel, like play, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm not trying to be that person who's like, you know, the one not playing. So I was like, okay, I'll play, but I just don't want to get my hair wet when I get sprayed. So then I asked the guy, um, the young men's leader, I said, hey, who, who is spraying people? I said, hey, I'll play. I just don't want to get sprayed in my hair if that's okay. And he was like, okay. So then, you know, I'm playing the game and um, I guess time comes for me to whatever. I broke the rule or whatever happened and I got sprayed. But instead of spraying my body, like I asked, he sprayed the back of my hair. And I remember I stormed off the game, like walked away, super upset. And I remember I was, I was really upset because you know, my boundaries weren't respected, first of all. And like, second of all, now I'm having to deal with my hair. My hair is now reverting. My hair is now turning curly, not straight. And my mom only got my hair done once a month at that time. So like, what was I supposed to do now that my hair is curly? So I was like, I want my hair to be paid for. Like, you need to pay for my hair because I asked you not to straight, not to get it wet and you did. And I, I remember so strongly feeling like they were minimizing what was happening to me because they didn't understand how important it was as non-black people. Mm. They didn't understand the depth nor importance. They just were kind of like, oh, why is she reacting this way? Because I went off on all of them. I mean, you remind you, I'm like 13 or 14 going off on these like right. grown adult leaders, you know. <laughs> right, but whole was, adults. Whole adults. But I was so upset. And I remember that feeling of feeling powerless and feeling like they were minimizing what was happening to me, A, because I was younger than them, a child too because i was black and like the way i was presenting myself wasn't in a way that they were used to communicating with people they weren't used to black people yelling at them and um you know i felt very much like put in a box because i had a right to be upset though right like yeah, that reaction is a normal human response but because i was a young black girl that was perceived as like aggressive and stereotypical and i felt like they didn't take me seriously and mm -hmm. no one it was like my feelings were ignored and I remember feeling so powerless and feeling like, wow, they just don't care. And it's, and I knew it was because of my race. Like if I, it was, if it was one of the white girls, it wouldn't have mattered. Right. But also if something had happened to one of the white girls in my ward, they would have cared a little, it felt like they would have cared because their parents would have come down and spoke to them in a different way. So that was a, it's a very, I remember that very clearly, clear as day. Still to still to at 23 years old. Man. That's wild. That kind of yeah, that that whole like powerless feeling. That's probably like one of the most frustrating parts of it is just not being able to, like, not knowing what to do in the moment. And honestly, your reaction is probably better than mine would have been. Like, I, I think I would have. I, I don't. I don't know that I would have said anything or done anything in the moment. You know. So for you to actually stand up for yourself, that's powerful. Because yeah, me at that age, I like get thirteen. I would have just. You know, I, I would like if that had happened to my sister, I don't think that I would have come to their defense um, because I was a, like a very different person at that time. So kudos to you for like being able to stand up for yourself. Um, my, you know, an example. Oh, you, let me let me um, share this this story really quick. Um, this is so the, the name of the, the lady, she runs a nonprofit called Sister Space and her name is Ngozi Fulani. I hope I'm saying that right. If I'm not, I'm sorry. 
Um, but she went to Buckingham Palace to, you know, have some conversations and, and discuss some things. Um, and the lady, it was this name named Lady Hussey or Lady Hussey, Hussey, I don't know, Lady Hussey. Um, and it's, uh, she's a spokesperson for the Prince of Wales and no, no, no. She is Prince William's godmother. All right. Um, and this is like a, a recap of the conversation basically. So this, this black woman, um, you know, she's a UK native. She was born in the UK. Um, but she's just black. And so this this woman, um, you know, a member of the royal family, comes up to her and begins the conversation by touching her hair, right? So automatic red flag, right? You don't touch someone's hair. Um, and I think we've talked about that before, how it's just kind of like a, a common sense thing, how you don't invade someone's personal space uh, without asking them first or without having that relationship to where you can do that. And it's kind of like one, that, that sense of ownership um, that a lot of people try to display over people of color so she touches her hair moved her locks out of the way so she could see her name tag and then she asked her where are you from and um, she told her the name of her organization she's like i'm from sister space um, and it supports domestic abuse survivors of african and caribbean descent and then she asked again she's like no no, no where are you from and she said i'm from hackney london and then hussey said uh no what part of africa are you from and then Fulani says, I don't know. They didn't leave any records. And then, let me see. There's a full end. Oh, hold on. I got to click on the tweet. Hold on. My bad. Because she actually posted, um, like, what happened here. So she's like, where are you from? Sister Space. No, where do you come from? We're based in Hackney. No, what part of Africa are you from? I don't know. They didn't leave any records. Well, you must know where you're from. I spent time in France. Where are you from? Here, the UK. No, but what nationality are you? I'm born here and I'm British. No, but where do you really come from? Where do your people come from? My people. Lady, what is this? Oh, I can see I'm going to have a challenge getting you to say where you're from. When did you first come here? Lady, I'm a British national. My parents came here in the 50s when, oh, I knew we'd get there. In the end, you're Caribbean. No, lady, I am of African heritage, Caribbean descent, and British nationality. Oh, so you're from dot, dot, dot. Right. And that was like her her account. Uh, this was Ngozi uh, Fulani's account of the the interaction. Right. So the crazy thing is that this woman had so many inter uh, so many opportunities to hush, to not say anything. But she just kept going because in her mind, she couldn't fathom that a black person could also be British because in her mind, Britain is white. And she's a member of the royal family. We already know. Like, if you don't know by now how trash the royal family is when it comes to colonialism and racism and things like that, then you got to be living under a rock. And we'll get to that I later because I have a... I really want to watch that documentary that Harry and Meghan made. Yeah, that's actually, that's going to be my recommendation. Or whatever, I really want to watch that. I started watching it. It's good. And also, Harry and Meghan are, are adorable. They're such a cute little couple. Yeah. But yeah, so that interaction, you know, like all of the things that happened in there. But yeah, the idea that, so that was uh, an example of a microaggression. Um, well, a couple of different ones. First, you touched her hair, right? We touched on that. And then secondly, um, implying that she did not belong there, right? Um, you know, kind of like an attack on her identity, an attack on her person saying, no, 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 you don't belong here. Where are you actually from? Uh, you're not from Britain. You can't be from here. You're from Africa. Like what part of Africa are you from? You know, just basically saying like you, you can never be one of us, so to speak. Um, 
you know, this is an example of a microaggression. Um, in my personal life, I've got a couple of different ones. Um, my little was my little sister. She actually told me about one that she experienced, which I thought was wild. Um, she experienced this when she was like nine or ten. Um, and, you know, my family they live in rural Michigan currently. It's a not my favorite place to be. Um, I, I didn't spend very much time there. They had, they moved there once I once I had already left for school. Um, and, you know, the people were nice enough, but it is a, a rural part of Michigan. And once you get out outside of the city in Michigan, you get into, you know, interesting territory. You start seeing Confederate flags and, and all that kind of stuff as soon as you get outside the city. Um, and in this particular place, there was a kid at church who, for some reason, made the comment like, oh, if this was the, I don't know why this, what they were talking about to where this was brought up at church, but basically said something along the lines of, if this was the 1600s, we'd be hanging you right now. And I was like, why don't like why would a ten year old say that to That's another ten year old? Like that doesn't even make That's sense. Very wild. Right. Like I, in my mind, I I never have ever thought like, oh, I, I, just the thought of hanging someone was not even in my mind at that age. That's, so That's to to be able to make that connection and be like, oh, I'm white, she's black. If this was X amount of years ago, my people would be hanging her people. I'm just like that is a. That's a crazy way to think, you know, especially at such a young age. Um, just wild. But yeah, so anyway, it's just crazy to think about um, that kind of, of thought process in a 10-year-old in, you know, whatever this was, the 20, the 20 teens, right? Um, and that kid is going to grow up and maybe he'll change, maybe he'll be better or maybe not. It's kind of like a, it's a, like a 70, 30 chance that he'll become better uh, rather than worse. So... Uh, yeah, that was an interesting one for sure. And then that was, you know, that was her experience. And then for me, a simple experience. This is just like a little small one. Um, I think I mentioned it before. When I was on my mission, I was, um, you know, my my companion and I were trying to make a decision about where to go to eat. And he's like, "Oh, well, where do you want to go?" And I was like, mm, "I don't know. I haven't thought about it." And he's like, "Oh, well, didn't you already get in trouble for being a fence sitter?" I think I've shared this before, and I've explained kind of the history behind that. Yeah. Basically, the church used to teach that black people weren't as good um, in heaven before we came to earth. And so because we didn't fight with God, we were cursed. Um, and basically, like, we were on the fence while we were up there. And so like we were cursed with black skin when we came down here. Um, that, was the, that was the teaching. And so he was making a, a reference to that and saying that I was a fence sitter for not knowing where I wanted to, you know, where I wanted to go eat. Um, little things like that, microaggressions. Yeah. So we kind of wanted to cover this just because, you know, we know that if, if you're visiting possibly like in-law families, that these are things that you can encounter. And really, I think the most important thing to do when you experience microaggressions is like, you know, being able to call it out. I think that's the most important thing. I don't necessarily think you call it out for them more so for you right like i think that when you call people out and tell them they're wrong people are super defensive most times right nobody wants mm -hmm. to sit there and be told they're wrong so like the reaction is probably going to be oh i didn't do anything wrong don't get mad at me yada 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 but that makes sense right like anybody's going to react that way but it's important because for your own like sanity i feel like that's really important being like you know i stood up for myself i said something and also, like, people might not see the error in their ways right now, but they may later. 
right? Like they might be defensive when you initially call them out, but maybe later that night or in a week or two, they think about what you said to them and how, you know, maybe what you called out was correct. So I always think that it's a benefit to call out a microaggression. And you don't necessarily need to be as aggressive as, aggressive as I was when I was, you know, 13 yelling at people. <laughs> but um, I think just being like, hey, that was not okay. And that was like, that was a microaggression. Like you weren't trying to be X, Y, Z, whatever the situation is, but calling out and saying, you made me feel X, Y, Z because of these things and, and kind of pointing out to people like, this is why it's a problem. I think is really beneficial for you and for the other person. Mm -hmm. And this is not, you know, obviously it's not just about, you know, things that people say about black people. Microaggressions can apply to to anyone that can be discriminated against, right? So this could be something that your your sexist uncle says, or your grandma that uh, is not a you know that is very very devoutly religious and not a fan of of queer people. They might say something, or somebody might say something about immigrants. Your your mega uncle, whoever it is, right? So um, whenever these things come up, no matter who the the party is that's that's being talked about it's important to make sure that we at least address those things, right? It doesn't have to be, um, you know, some huge show and where you stand up and you're outraged and you storm out of the room, but just saying something for yourself and, you know, for other people in the room who might be listening. Because there's going to be probably a lot of people there who don't feel the same way as whoever's talking, um, who might really appreciate your example, um, you know, and, 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 you know, maybe think about what you said or what you did. And then just like Rachel said, um, you know, there may come a time where those people see the error of their ways and they have somebody to come back to. Like, Rachel, didn't you didn't you mention before that like one of those young men's leaders like apologized to you later on for spraying you or am I am I wrong? Um, I think he did. I'm not going to say he didn't, but I, I have had leaders come back to me mm -hmm. since then, really post 2020. And apologize for the way they treated me when I was a young woman, because I was kind of wild back in the day. Like, I'm a much more tame version. That's why when I tell y'all I'm not nudist, I'm curious, because I really was out here. <laughs> like, I was like 15, 16, calling my young women. I'm like, y'all are racist. Like, I was out here being like, you don't know anything about black people. I will literally say this to people, and I'm looking back like, dang, I was unhinged. Rachel was like, built different. Time, I'm pretty sure one time I told my leader, I'm like. You, um, <laughs> I was like, you think because you taught black kids for one year, you think you know something about black people? Honey, no, you don't know anything about black people. And I'm like, you're dealing with different types of black people here. Okay, I was like, you, just because you go to the hood and pick somebody up does not mean that you all of a sudden know how to interact <laughs> with us. I said, oh my goodness, me as a youth. Okay, y'all, I was. I'm not you reading like, the young women's presidency for filth. That's hilarious. Exactly. So. But they have come back to me, right? Like, even a couple months ago, I had a young woman leader DM me on Instagram and just was like, you know, Rachel, like, I want to apologize for, like, how I made you feel during Young Women's, right? Like, I know you felt not appreciated nor heard. And, you know, I felt like there's a lot of condescension when I was in Young Women's. And I would tell them that. I'm like, you're condescending me because I don't know how to present myself in the way that you do. Mm -hmm. And that's because I'm a child. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, and you're comparing me to other people who have white parents who went to college. So like, don't talk to me. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, and she just apologized for like the way that she participated in that. And like, she pointed out like the, a lot of the things that I, you know, now that she's moved away, 
are true and she sees how she like was not where she needed to be with things and i was like mm -hmm, thank you good on them for coming back i've had a couple of people do the same thing where they just you know reach out and be like hey i get it now you know i haven't had anybody like necessarily apologize per se for things that happened like when i was a kid and I don't really expect that, right? But I think that, you know, people just coming and, like, asking questions and wanting to learn, even that's just a sign of change. So that's huge. Yeah, it's always a, I get it now. <laughs> I should <laughs> right. be laughing, but it's, it's funny because people don't realize how they made you feel at the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I appreciate the growth for them, but I also think that they don't realize, like, how that made me feel at such a young age like i remember i right. literally protested young women i literally told them i was like i'm not coming because i felt so like misunderstood mm. and like my young young women's leaders even though they were so intelligent they were just white they yeah. were white women dealing with you know and there were issues amongst me and the girls like you know social issues and fighting Mm -hmm. And they were, you know, it became racial in certain ways and they didn't know how to handle that. And not for their own fault, but just feeling like, dang, it's because of my race that I'm not able to represent myself in the way that would be best. Because in my family, people like in my home, people in my family made me feel like real gassed up. I don't know about you, Nate, but like my family always made me feel like Rachel knows how to talk, Rachel knows how to present herself. Like we're proud of her. Because, But when I would go with white people, they would make me feel like I was stupid. Mm. Anyway, man, and that feeling it it never really goes away. Um, you know, it kind of sticks with you, and like in those spaces, it, it's pretty common, I think, for a lot of Black people to feel that way. Not everybody. I think there are ways of of circumventing it, so to speak. You kind of have to sacrifice parts of who you are to kind of to get around those things. But if you never compromise, um you know, in certain ways or, you know, I guess try to survive within the climate of the church as a black person, then there comes a point where you kind of have to make a decision where it's like, do I stay here or do I go, you know, and then you have to make that decision one way or the other. And so I think, yeah, that's kind of like part of that process. And, and these things are true, not just even like, like Nate was saying, like you know across racial lines i've gotten into many just exposing myself as a child and teenage years all my fights with my mom it was never like me being disobedient it was always like my mom says something sexist and i'm telling her i don't like i don't want to hear that i literally like, i don't want to hear that in the house hmm. <laughs> so like you can these things can you know issues can come from lots of areas and um I'm a lot better. I know how to communicate my feelings a lot better, guys. I'm thankful for therapy and, you know, for getting some maturity as well. But um, I used to be, a tra I used to be, my dad would call me a trailblazer. Mm. Like, you burn wherever you go. I said, oh. <laughs> I like that. If there's one thing we could take away from this episode is that Rachel is built different and always has been. Yeah. It's, it's funny to look back now because I haven't reflected in such a while, but now that I am, as I'm talking, I'm like laughing because like, I really was wild. <laughs> Nobody stopped me. Like <laughs> that's funny. I was wild, but in a different way. I was just weird, wild, growling at children and whatnot. Yeah, that's that's different, Nate. Really different. <laughs> You're yeah. growling at kids for I don't know, and um, I'm barking at adults for being racist. So right. We have. <laughs> we both had our our ways. 
that's funny. And now it brought us here, though, so that's that's good. That's true. We become who we are. One way or another, we made it to to this point. Okay. And with that, I think that's about all we got. Yeah. Do we want to head to the recommendations portion? I can go first. Absolutely. You seem excited (laughs) to go. Okay, guys. This shouldn't be a surprise if you follow me on social media. My recommendation for the week is to go listen to the SZA album and be ready if you're that much of a fan for the concert tickets that are dropping this week. Her album is really good. It's been five years since she dropped an album, and I really appreciate this album because she kind of covered a lot of different... Um, she didn't just, you know, control was, you know, very one vibe of her, and this album just shows, like, her ability to kind of, you know, she gave a little rock. Yeah, I heard that. I was like, is this like, SZA? I thought I, I right, thought my... she gave us a little rapping. Yeah. I said, okay, SZA. I thought Spotify was a... playing games. <laughs> I know. So, um, and she gave, you know, her traditional R&B, but she, you know, she got a lot of, it felt a lot of inspiration from like 2000s music and um, her sound. And I really appreciated that because it was not what we were expecting at all. But her fans are extremely, you know, satisfied. And even people who are not fans, you know, they appreciate what she has contributed to this. So um, that's my recommendation for the week. And she better want to grab me for this. <laughs> yeah, I like what I heard. Now, I got a question for you. What is it that makes SZA so, so good? Because, like, there's a lot of R&B artists and stuff. But I feel like she gets a lot of buzz. Was it? What is it about her that, like, makes her stand out? Okay. You know... <laughs> I've opened, I'm it. I've opened a big the can of worms. Guys, so sorry about to go nerdy really quick, but um, I think what makes SZA stand out are multiple things. Number one, her her lyrics. I think that people really pay attention to what she says because she talks about extremely relatable topics and feelings mm-hmm. and emotions, especially for very you know, I feel like people talk about feelings in R and B music, but SZA just really talks about emotions and feelings that people are just afraid to say out loud. Mm-hmm. Like some of her songs from this recent album, I was like, wow. Nobody really says this out loud. I'm so glad you're saying these things out loud because that's how I feel. I also think that her sound is really unique, like the way that she sings. Her voice is unique in the way that she is picks matches her voice with um, production. is really smart to bring out the unique sound that she has because I don't think a lot of people sound like her. Mm. I maybe know one artist that kind of sounds like her. There are a lot of people that compliment her, but I feel like some R&B artists their their beats are not unique they sound like someone else's beat a beat that's similar their flow is similar and SZA is just not that way like when she sings people always joke about SZA-lations because she's speaking <laughs> another language or like they're like what is she saying because the way that she sings and like you can still hear what she's saying but also not and mm. like it just all intertwines into something that's almost like hypnotizes you when you're listening to her music and um I also think that the way that she has dropped music has been incredibly smart. She didn't do this on purpose. I'd, I'd go into another deep dive about why SZA's music has taken, her album has taken five years to release. But I think that, you know, we're in this culture of people just dropping every single thing that they make, everything that they thought of, they dropped the project. And I think we need to move away from that because that's not what artists used to do, mm-hmm. right? Like Young Boy dropped six albums last year. Why? That's uh-huh. too many albums. Wow. No yeah, that's absurd. People don't need to hear all of that. You know, right. as an artist, you need to be picking your best work and that's what SZA does. She literally only drops the best stuff that she makes. Mm-hmm. And um, she has a general fan base, kind of like how old artists used to do, right? Like Beyonce, mm-hmm. you know, talk about this, like Kendrick Lamar, Drake. Those people have like strong fan bases because they follow the original formula of what artists would do, not kind of like these new age artists 
to just drop to drop mm-hmm. rather than dropping to create um, a culture and to create a strong fan base, um, which SZA definitely has. We are loyal. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. Cool. I've got your recommendation, Nate. Yeah, I've got two recommendations this week. So the first one is kind of like a, you know, it's a, it's a easy, it's a easy. I don't. What do you call it? A home run? I don't know. It's it's a it's a lob. It's a toss up. Um, go watch Harry and Meghan on Netflix. It's um it's a documentary about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, and their relationship, how they met. It's like their story. Um, of how they met and like why they stepped away from the royal family and all of that stuff. And it brings up an interesting question actually. This is what I thought. I was like, what what is the what is their last name? What's the Queen of Prince England's Luke. last name? Huh? Oh, that's a good question. Right, cuz it's always just Queen Elizabeth, Prince Harry, Prince Charles. I don't or King Charles now, I guess. I don't know what their I don't do they have a last name? Is it of Wales? I don't I don't know. This is a good question. I couldn't tell you either. I'm like, I'm stuck. I'm like, wait, I don't know either. The answer to life lies within this question. Like, if we solve this, then we'll figure out time travel as well. So, anybody could tell me uh, what the the queen's last name is. I would be very grateful. Um, And then, aside from that, my other uh, recommendation this week is to go and listen to my girl Ari Lennox's new Christmas song. She dropped her version of uh my favorite things and that's already like it's already like a a song that i love um like you know the old school version from uh the sound of music is dope and then luther vandross got a version of my favorite things john coltrane has a version that's like 14 minutes long that i will bump anytime 14 minutes yeah he john coltrane he played the saxophone so he's just like going crazy on the saxophone for like 14 minutes it's beautiful So yeah, go check out. You know, so you can go check out all of those, but especially check out Ari Lennox, My Favorite Things. Her voice is so unique, and the way that she just kind of like rides the melody is incredible. And I, I when the, when I first heard it, when it first dropped, I listened to it like eight times in a row. So go check that out. I need to go back and listen to it again. Like what I heard, I liked, and I like I heard, I was like, hold up, is Spotify messing with my with my my playlist? Because I was like, what is this? No. Is this Olivia Rodrigo? But no, it was I've listened to it. I've only listened to it since it dropped. Mm-hmm. It dropped on Thursday Friday. at 10 p.m. Okay. E, um, East Mountain Time. Uh-huh. So I've only listened to that since then. I know a bit obsessive, but it feels unloyal to listen to anything else right now. <laughs> and every time I listen to it, that's what I like about Scissor's music. It may everyone's music is that way. Definitely, like the more you listen to it, the more you get it. Mm-hmm. But like you will listen to her album the first five times and have one favorite and be like, just kidding. My favorite is actually these two other songs, yeah. which I love it. That's what I love about her albums. Is, mm-hmm. You know, you can kind of build on them and um, find different favorites at different times in your life, which probably happens with every artist, but I'm just obsessed with SZA, and I'm going to say that she's unique to that. So No, I feel that. That's me with Kendrick, too. I'm, I've been re-listening to okay. his album lately. I know you don't want to hear me start talking about Kendrick, but. Yeah, see, we both have our person. That's <laughs> I, I got to shut up. I got to give myself a little <laughs> muzzle, because if not... I will talk for hours about her. <laughs> no, you're good. I love to hear about new artists and stuff like that. But cool. Yeah, that's all we got for y'all this week. I know we said that, what, 15 minutes ago? But we made it this time. Yeah. <laughs> so have a Merry Christmas, and we will catch y'all in January. Yes. Peace. 
Thank you for joining us on the Black Menace podcast today. Make sure to follow us on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at the Black Menaces. And make sure to subscribe to our Patreon, the Menace Society, where you can get bonus content from us on the podcast, as well as extra clips from our videos that we film. And don't forget to email us at blackmenacepodcast at gmail.com for menace moments or any other questions that you want us to answer because this show is for you guys thank you and remember always be a menace thank you <laughs>